by that? By that he means that because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by God's reckoning of things, we have become participants in all of the experiences that Christ went through in his life. Let me say that again. Because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because God has saved us through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in God's reckoning of things, as God deems things to be, we have become participants in all of the experiences that Christ Jesus himself went through in his life. Which means that as Christ died on the cross, we died with Christ. As Christ was buried, we were buried with him. As Christ was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. As Christ uh, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, Paul says we are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. And we will come back with him, Colossians 3. That is the same language that is used uh, in Colossians 3. So uh, that is the historical aspect of it. Again, we will look more about it in uh, perhaps tomorrow. I'm just giving you some brief basic explanations right now for our understanding and to see how the outline is. So we'll move forward. Uh, uh, perhaps we will not stop uh, soteriology by tomorrow. All right, I got... Uh, one second, I got chat. Okay, yeah, uh, is the recording on right now? Yep. Okay, great. Coming back. Um, so that is a historical aspect of it. By God's reckoning of things, we have become participants in all of the experiences that Christ went through. In other words, uh, God declares that whatever our representative, Jesus Christ has accomplished, those who trust in him have also achieved the same thing. His riches, his righteousness, his merits, all of that belong to us. Our union with Christ in his life, death and resurrection provides the basis in one sense for our justification, for our sanctification, and also for our glorification. So that is what uh, Paul means when he talks about the historical aspect of it, or when we talk in salvation about the historical aspect of it. So number one is the eternal aspect or the perspective. Number two is the historical perspective. Number three, we look at the present perspective. Present perspective. The present perspective means that we are united with Christ the moment we trust him for salvation and we enjoy all the present benefits of salvation in him. Did you get that? We enjoy all the present benefits of salvation in him. That's what Paul says when he uh, speaks emphatically in Ephesians 1.13. He says, you are also, you also were included in Christ when when you heard the word of your salvation. When you heard the word of your salvation. Um, and the gospel of your salvation is what he says. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the present aspect of salvation, you were marked in him with a seal, that is the promised Holy Spirit. Now, God has elected a certain people for himself, the eternal perspective. They are called the elect. But until those people place their faith in the Son, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, they are unsaved till then. And the wrath of God abides on them is what the Bible says. 
But the moment they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens is all the present benefits of salvation become theirs, not the least of which is the indwelling of the Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit. Again, let me emphasize this, and I cannot emphasize this enough, that experiencing all of the current blessings of salvation comes about from our union with Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we can experience the current blessings of salvation. That's why the scriptures present us as regenerated in Christ. For example, 2 Corinthians 5.17, they say that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The scriptures also present us as justified in Christ. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the present aspects of salvation. Ephesians 1.7, in him, we have forgiveness of sins, the present aspects of salvation. And also we are sanctified in Christ. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus is the, is the language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1. Of course, he's talking about justification there, which is also a present aspect of salvation. Also, one more aspect here is the adoption in Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God because of our union with Christ. Again, I refer to Ephesians 1.5 where Paul says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 talks about us being all far away, away from the commonwealth of Israel, without hope, without God. But in Christ Jesus, he has brought us near, in fact, into the very family of God. He has adopted us into the family of God, so we can boldly call him our father. We are the children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. And he's our older brother is also the language that is used by the writer of the Hebrews. So those are the present aspects of salvation, uh, present uh, perspective of salvation. And we will look at that a little in detail, a little, uh, a little later, okay? Next one, the eschatological aspect of salvation, the future aspect of salvation. All of the future benefits of salvation will be bestowed on us in the future because of our union with Christ. Once again, let me repeat that statement. All of the future aspects of salvation, the benefits of salvation will be bestowed on us because of our union with Christ. Because of our union with Christ. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Paul says, as in Adam, we all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. He's talking about the resurrection aspect of it. He's saying that one day we will be glorified. We will have an incorruptible body. We will have a body that is exactly like the body of Jesus Christ when he rose again from the dead, a glorified body. And Paul is saying, that just like how we bore the image of Adam, and in Adam we all die, one day we will bear the likeness of uh, Christ Jesus himself, because in Christ we all will be made alive, the resurrection aspect of it, the future aspect of it. And with him, we all will be glorified, is what Romans 8.17 says as well. Now notice this, all these four perspectives of salvation that I talked about here, are all in union with him. It is all in union with Christ, including the eternal aspect, because he, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. The historical aspect of, as well. Christ Jesus in history came in the form of man and he went through certain experiences as our representative. And in God's scheme of things, in God's reckoning of things, because of our union with him, God reckons as though we were participants in all of the experiences of Christ. And that's why I mentioned that his righteousness becomes our righteousness. His riches become our riches in Christ. Uh, riches as in the spiritual riches is what I'm talking about. Um, so uh, those are the historical aspects of salvation. We were, we died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him in Christ. 
and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms uh, in glory in Christ. Now the present aspects of our salvation, I talked about it once again, that is also in union with Christ. We have our justification, we are now being sanctified, we have been adopted, we have the indwelling spirit, we have forgiveness of sins, we have right now the experience of eternal life, all of those aspects and many more that I mentioned. Then we have the eschatological aspects of salvation, the fullness of salvation as it comes to us in the future. And that is called the eschaton or the eschatological aspects of salvation, uh, one of which is the resurrection from the dead. At his coming, we will, if we are still alive by then, we will be changed in the twinkling, uh, twinkling of an eye, or if we had died by then, we will be raised with a glorified body. We will be raised incorruptible. So those are the four perspectives of salvation in relation to union with Christ. So I just wanted to first begin with this New Testament concept of union with Christ, because that's a summation of our salvation. Everything is because of Christ and is because of our union with Christ. Uh, I'll just pause for about 10 seconds for you to ask me any questions before we move forward, please. Did everybody understand everything so far? Yes. Okay. Anybody else? At least two or three of you? Joanna, is everything clear? Yes, Raven. Uh, who else is there? Um, Abhi, everything clear? Raven? Raven? Ka can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Is everything clear? Uh, yeah, I had asked one question on the chat. Oh, okay, really? I see. Okay, I'm speaking here, so losing track of the chat also. Could you touch on what his riches means? It's always misquoted to be by many I know. Okay, it is not talking about physical riches or material blessings at all. It is talking about the spiritual riches that we have in Christ. Right? Um, go to Ephesians 1.3. Can somebody read for me Ephesians 1.3, please? Abhi, you read for me Ephesians 1.3. My microphone is not working, but okay. Uh, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. who has blessed us in, uh, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, so what is Paul saying there? He's saying that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, which means everything that is about salvation. So he has blessed us in Christ with everything that is about salvation, in the spiritual realms or in the heavenly realms. So he's talking about spiritual blessings and he is enumerating for us what those spiritual blessings are in the following verses. The first thing that you can think about is the doctrine of election. He says, he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world. And then he talks about predestination. He talks about redemption. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about indwelling of, indwelling of the spirit and all of that. So all these are the riches that we have in Christ or the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Okay, thanks. Okay, um, let me ask a few. Sean, is it clear? Sean Joshua. Yeah, it's clear. Sean, couldn't hear you. Yeah, Raven, it's clear. Okay, uh, Rovina. Yes, it's clear. Uh, Rojit. Yeah, it's fine enough. Philip? Yes, Talabadi. Sorry? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay, okay, all right. All right, okay. So, shall we move forward? Okay. Sure, we can. Now, listen to this very carefully, please. This requires a little bit of attention on your part. Uh, there are two aspects of union with Christ. Now, 
So far, we talked about union with Christ, and we saw the union with Christ from four different perspectives. Let me just recount it for you. The eternal perspective, the historical perspective. The eternal perspective is when all of the aspects of salvation, if you have to speak in human language, were being planned or were planned. God was planning out salvation in one sense, just to use a very layman's language for our understanding. Okay? The historical aspect is when Christ actually came into the world as our representative and accomplished things for us. The present aspect is when we believe in Christ and all of the riches of Christ are given to us because of our faith in him. And then the eschatological aspects are the future aspects of salvation that yet await a future uh, uh, fulfillment or at the time of his return, all those things will be fulfilled. I hope that is clear. Now we look at two aspects of our union with Christ. Number one is called the positional aspect of our union with Christ. The positional aspect of our union with Christ. Now hear me please and listen to this very carefully. When God looks upon Christ Jesus as our representative and all his accomplishments are considered by God as our accomplishments too. Now hear me again, please. When God looks upon Christ Jesus as our representative, whatever he accomplished in his life are seen as our accomplishments also when God sees it. So, we saw that Christ Jesus did not sin and he could not sin as well, which means that he perfectly followed the law and therefore he acquired righteousness by perfectly following the law. And because of our union with him, the positional union with him, that righteousness is credited to our account and it is seen as our own righteousness in God's sight. His death is seen as our own death, or we died with him. His resurrection as is seen positionally as our own resurrection. We were raised with him. So his being seated at the right hand of God is also seen as us being seated at the right hand of God. So this is a positional aspect. In one sense, it's a forensic term. It is a positional aspect. So positionally, God sees Jesus Christ as our representative and all his accomplishments are considered by God as our accomplishments because of our union with him. I hope that is clear. So uh, the second one. Raymond, Raymond, will you come again? Okay. Uh, the positional one? Yep. Okay. Now, uh, Christ Jesus is our representative. So, as our representative, when he was born in this world, when he perfectly fulfilled the law, when he died on our behalf, when he rose again on our behalf, when he ascended to the right hand of God on our behalf, and he's seated at the right hand of God, all these things he did as our representative. Okay, okay. thank you. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, let me finish that sentence. Because of our union with him, when God looks at the works and the accomplishments of Christ, he sees all the works and the accomplishments of Christ uh, as our work and our accomplishments. Is that clear now? Uncle? Yes, yes. Okay. So whatever righteousness he accomplished in his life is deemed by God as our righteousness. It is imputed to us. It is credited to us. His death is our death. We died with him. His resurrection is our resurrection. We have been raised with him. His being seated at the right hand of God is our being seated at the right hand of God because we have been seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ is what 
Ephesians, Ephesians 1 says. And then you also go to the return of Christ. We are in Christ. We are hidden in Christ is, in what, is what Colossians 3 says. And we will be with him when he returns as well. So that is called the positional aspect of our union with him. Our positional aspect of our union with him. Which provides the basis for something called as our experiential aspect. It is our experiential aspect, which means that we are right now experiencing our union with Christ. And that is by the work of his spirit in our lives. Now, I want you all to understand this doctrine clearly, please. And that's why I am going slowly. And I'm also speaking slowly here for our understanding. So the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and is doing work in us. And that is the experiential aspect of our union with Christ. The Holy Spirit subjectively applies to us what Christ objectively obtained for us. Now, let me say that again. When you talk about the positional reality, you talk about what Christ objectively obtained for us. And whatever he obtained for us objectively and achieved for us is taken and applied to our lives experientially by the Holy Spirit. And that is the experiential aspect of our salvation. So positionally, we have been declared righteous in Christ. But experientially, Christ is in us by the person of his spirit. And we are being made righteous. Let me say that again. Positionally, we have been declared righteous in Christ. But experientially right now, we are being made righteous by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. By faith, we accept our new standing in Christ. And by taking this truth to our heart, it liberates us and transforms our life as well. So the Holy Spirit God begins to indwell the believer right from the moment of his new birth or of his conversion. And as the Spirit of God lives within us, we see the experiential component of our union with him. The experiential component of our union with him. Uh, although the Bible, the New Testament, talks about the experiential component of our salvation, it does not fully describe for us what it is. But it does give us certain analogies to a certain extent for our understanding. And, you know, for us to understand fully, we cannot because there is a certain mystery to it as well. And Paul calls it uh, a certain mystery. But let me talk about four scriptural uh, or certain scriptural analogies of our union with Christ. What are certain analogies that the scripture takes when it talks about our union with Christ? What are certain analogies that the New Testament gives when it talks about our union with Christ, especially our experiential union with Christ? The New Testament says that our union with Christ is analogous to the relationship that exists within the Godhead. If you read John 17, verses 21 and 23, Jesus says, can somebody read that for me, please? John 17, 21 and 23. Shovit, can you read that for me? Okay, Danny, go on. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. All right, great. Thank you, Danny. Now look at the analogy that Jesus Christ is drawing here. When he is trying to describe our union with Christ. Now listen, please. 
when he is trying to describe our union with Christ. Jesus Christ himself uses uh, the highest of comparisons. He is talking about the relationship that exists within the Godhead itself or among the members of the Trinity. Now notice once again, he says, they all may be one, how? As you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the members of the Trinity interpenetrate one another in their persons. They interpenetrate one another because they all share the same being of God. So the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Spirit, the Spirit is in the Father and the Son. So they interpenetrate one another. And he is drawing that analogy and he is talking about the union of a believer with Christ. And he's saying, verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they, may be, that they may be made perfect in one. So this obviously is the highest of comparisons, but it indicates that Christ here is speaking metaphorically. And he's saying that there is a certain union of the believer with Christ that is analogous to the relationship that exists among the members of the Trinity. So that is one of the uh, scripture analogies that, this, uh, that the Bible, the New Testament gives especially about our union with Christ. The second one. The second one is that scripture likens our union with Christ to the relationship of the stones of a building to the chief cornerstone. The stones of a building to the chief cornerstone. Can somebody read for me Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 to 22 please? Ephesians 2 verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, great. Now, what is Paul likening our union with Christ to? He likens our union with Christ to the relationship that the stones of a building have with the chief cornerstone, right? That's exactly what he's saying here. Um, he is giving the structure or a building as an analogy. And he's saying that just like the stones of a building are connected to the chief cornerstone, that is how our union is in terms of analogy. That is how our union is with Christ as well is what Paul is saying. The same thing is, um, is also seen in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. But the symbolism here highlights that Christ is the foundation of our salvation and that we are the temple of God in whom, uh, in which the Holy Spirit resides. We are the temple of God in which the Holy Spirit resides. So these are two scriptural analogies. One is that... Uh, our relationship, our, our union with Christ is likened to the relationships that exist among the members of the Trinity. The second thing is, uh, Paul says, our union with Christ is like the relationship of the stones of a building to the chief cornerstone. Number three, and very important, Paul makes a contrast here between the relationship of Adam to the human race and the relationship of Jesus to the church. Now, let me say that again. Paul is making a contrast between the relationship of Adam to the entire human race with the relationship of Jesus to the church. What he's saying here is, when you read these passages, on the one hand, humanity is joined with Adam in a union of death, so to speak. Humanity is joined with Adam in a union of death. That's why Paul says, in Adam we all die, isn't it? But later on, 
Paul compares, Paul contrasts that with the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church. And he says that believers enjoy a solidarity of life with Christ. They enjoy a solidarity of life with Christ. So the third analogy that the scripture gives about our union with Christ is that it contrasts the relationship of Adam to the entire human race with the relationship of Jesus Christ to the church. Fourth one. Now Jesus himself gave this. He likened our union with him to the union of a vine with its branches. Remember John chapter 15? Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So the point here is, just as the branches depend entirely on the vine for life and the ability to produce fruit as well, so believers are to depend completely upon him. You and I are to depend completely on him. That is our union with Christ, our union with Christ. That's why Jesus said in John 17, 5, sorry, John 15, 5, for without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing because we draw a life from him and our ability to even produce fruit comes from him. The next one, Paul likens uh, our union with Christ to the marriage between a husband and a wife. The marriage between a husband and a wife. Very famous passage. Those of us who've been to any Christian wedding would have heard this passage either read out or either preached on or referred to by the solemnizer. Somewhere in a wedding, this passage shows up um, because Paul is likening our union with Christ to the, to the marriage between a husband and a wife. Uh, this metaphor is, is beautiful because it talks about and emphasizes the, in, uh, the intimacy that we have with Christ and the essential relationship that exists between Christ and the church. The church is, is referred to as his bride. Um, in fact, Paul talks about the same thing in this passage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And notice the analogy there. Uh, husbands are called to love their wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our union with Christ. Lastly, uh, this is the sixth one. Uh, our union with Christ is also likened to uh, the relationship of a head to the body. The relationship of a head to the body. Philip, can you read for me Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, please? Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Are you reading? Yeah. Uh, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect uh, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, nose, and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, thank you. So, what is the relationship there? Or what is the analogy there of our union with Christ? Paul is drawing the analogy of the relationship of a head to the rest of the body. He's the head and the rest of the body is the body parts, right? So although we cannot fully and exhaustively understand our experiential and even our positional union with Christ, the Bible does not exhaustively describe it. It does give certain scriptural analogies about our union with Christ for our understanding. Number one, it is analogous to the relationship that exists among the members of the Trinity. So that's why the language of I in them and you in me and we in them and all of that. Secondly, it is the relationship that exists 
between the stones of a building to the chief cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus, the foundation, then it is also a contrast between the relationship that Adam has with the entire human race and Jesus has with his church. In Adam, we die, but in Christ Jesus, we live. There's that life aspect there. And Jesus himself talked about uh, our union with Christ in terms of an imagery of a vine with its branches. We draw our sustenance from him and we draw our ability to produce fruit from him. And it's also likened to a marriage, the marriage between a husband and a wife. And it's likened once again to the relationship of a head to the body. So all these are just analogies. They can't exhaustively explain our union with Christ, but they at least touch the nerve for our understanding to show what our union with Christ is. Now, when we illustrate the concept of our union with Christ, it is primarily positional, but it is not only positional. I'll explain that to you. When, okay, I'll explain that to you in terms of me and Angela. When Ange and I got married, we entered for sure into a new legal contract. We, that's why we get a certificate, a legal certificate from a lawyer from the government of India that we are legally married. It is also a covenantal standing, but it's much more than a legal and a covenantal standing. Marriage is not just the acquisition of a legal status, but we have entered into a new relationship with each other. And that relationship will affect every area of our lives. You get the point? That's the same thing with our new positional standing in Christ. It is not merely legal, yes it is, but that has implications in a transforming way for the way we experience our Christian life today. But at the end of the day, the Bible does say that our union with Christ is a mystery and uh, scriptural analogies do touch the nerve and help us understand to an extent of what it is, but we can't exhaustively understand what it is. Um, so that's why I think Jesus also said this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him, which means our union with Christ brings about communion with God, which in turn produces in us holiness. So the positional aspect will bring about the experiential aspect, which is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our cooperation with the Spirit as well, and which in turn produces holiness in our lives. Any questions so far in this, please? Uh, Raven, could you just repeat uh, the passage from Romans 5, uh, the contrast between Adam and Jesus? Where is the union of Christ with Christ seen there? Sorry? Uh, point number three in Romans 5, 12 to 19. I am, I am trying to combine Romans 5, 12, 19 and 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, both to together. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's all a Pauline concept. Got it. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, we'll uh, move forward. There is, uh, there is a tension right now between what we experience now in our salvation and what we have not experienced yet about salvation. Let me say that again. The Bible does present a tension between what we already experience in terms of our salvation and what we have not yet experienced in terms of salvation. So there are present aspects of salvation that we now experience, and there are future aspects of salvation that we will experience. 
So like I stated before, uh, the Bible presents salvation from four perspectives, we said. The eternal perspective, the historical perspective, the present perspective, and the eschatological perspective. I said first, God eternally purposed and planned our salvation in a very layman's language. Okay, just for our understanding, he planned our salvation before the world began. So that is the eternal aspect of it. The second thing is Jesus of Nazareth historically accomplished our salvation by offering his sinless life as a sacrifice upon the cross and rising again from the dead, the historical aspects of our salvation. Third, we talk about the present aspects of our salvation, which is our benefits of salvation. When we repent of our sins and we respond in faith to the gospel message. So I talked about the indwelling spirit, our adoption into the family of God. I talked about forgiveness of sins right now, the experience of forgiveness, the present aspect of the experience of eternal life and all of those things. And fourthly, we talked about the eschatological aspect. Ultimately, we will enjoy in the future the completion of our salvation along with uh, the transformation of all of the creation at the end of the age. The eschaton is what we call it when Christ returns. So these are the four uh, aspects or perspectives of salvation that the Bible presents. And I would say that all four moments of our salvation should be understood in light of our union with him. Because each aspect is accomplished in him. That's why I began with this concept of union with Christ. So the first two moments, which is the first two perspectives, the eternal perspective and the historical perspective, they accomplish the objective or the positional aspects of redemption, which is what we've been talking about till now, the positional aspect of it or the objective aspects of it. And then the last two, which is the present and the eschatological, uh, they fulfill the subjective and the experiential components of our salvation. To put it simply, objective refers to the redemptive act God has done for us. Subjective refers to the transforming work that God is doing in us. Do you hear that? Let me say that again. The objective refers to the redemptive act that God has already accomplished for us. And the subjective refers to the transforming work that God is accomplishing in us right now. So objectively, to give an example objectively, Christ paid our debt, which is our debt, uh, our sin debt. And subjectively, he, en he empowers us to overcome sin. So the difference here between positional and experiential aspects or perspectives should be understood in similar terms. I'll explain that to you here. Positionally, the believer is viewed by God in Christ as righteous. When God looks at us, he looks at us in Christ. He looks at us through the lenses of the righteousness that Christ has given to us positionally. And experientially, the same believer is being made righteous in Christ. He is being made righteous in Christ. So that is the difference that you see between the positional aspect and the experiential aspect. The positional aspect, which is the eternal and historical, have already been completed. They've been accomplished. But presently and eschatologically, our redemption is still in progress, which is what we call as sanctification. So we who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ are now experiencing the benefits of salvation but we will not know the full blessings until our resurrection, which is the eschatological aspect of it, or the fullness of salvation. But objectively, once again, salvation is a finished event. By faith, we are redeemed, we are adopted and justified in him. However, subjectively, 
we are experiencing our sanctification as an ongoing process that will not be completed until, uh, until we see him face to face or until our death. So in that sense, we are right now experiencing the now and not yet reality of living between Christ's resurrection and his return. And because the whole world celebrated Easter yesterday, let me say that we are experiencing the reality of living between Easter and the resurrection, the, the second coming. The resurrection of all is what I meant. So the Bible presents the now and not yet experience of being between the beginning and completion of salvation as a kind of a tension here. It is a kind of a tension. So to put it very simply, let me explain to you a few things here. Uh, usually people talk about three things here. We say we have been saved. Number two, we are being saved. Number three, we will be saved. So let me just explain to you the past tense of salvation, uh, which is we are saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved from sin's penalty. Now, several passages speak of this aspect of salvation as holy uh, in terms of past tense or as having been accomplished or ha as having been completed for us, um, especially in the work of Christ. This aspect views the believer as delivered once for all from the sin's penalty. So you and I have been delivered once for all from the penalty of sin and from spiritual death. There are several verses that talk about it. Can, can we look at a few of them, please? Luke chapter 7, verse 50. Luke 7, verse 50. Philip, can you read uh, Luke 7, 50, please? Okay. okay, go on, please. Go on, Philip. Look. Yeah. Can you tell me the passage? Uh, Luke 750, and he said to the woman, faith has saved you, go in peace. Yeah. So what does it say? Saved, past tense, right? Yeah. So that talks about the positional aspect of our salvation, justification that is. Um, there are several verses that way that talk about the, the present aspect of our salvation. Um, Romans 8.1 is a very famous passage for us, right? Therefore, there's now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are already in Christ Jesus. Um, I'm just uh, thinking of other passages, perhaps 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. Okay, look at this. Blessed be the God and, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the, this is the past aspect of our salvation. The penalty for sin has been paid. It is once for all accomplished. Then there's a present tense of salvation, uh, which has to do with the present deliverance over the reigning power of sin and of the carnal nature's power in the lives of believers. So that's why you have uh, several passages in the book of Romans, Romans 6, uh, 1 to 23. Um, then uh, we are being saved. I'm thinking of a verse. We look at uh, we look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, the present continuous tense. Um, then you have uh, perhaps 2 Corinthians 3.18. Okay, that's good. 
For we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit are being transformed in his image from glory to glory. So there is the present aspect of our salvation. We are being saved. So the past aspect is we were saved. We have been saved. The present aspect, we are being saved. It is called sanctification. The first one, the positional aspect is called justification. We'll study more of that tomorrow. The present aspect is called sanctification. We are being saved. Then the future tense, uh, which refers to the future deliverance that all believers, all of us, will experience in Christ through a glorified, resurrected body. For example, uh, um, okay, let's see Romans 8, 29. Okay, so he will be the first born among many brethren. Okay, let me. Just one second, let me just turn there. Um, let 1 Peter 1 5, 1 Peter 1 5. Okay, that's right. So uh, look at uh, 1 Peter 1 5. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, the future aspect of it. It is ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 John 3 2 also would be a good verse here. Beloved, uh, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So the future aspect of our salvation here once again. So these are the three things, the already not yet tension that I was talking about. The past aspect, we have been saved, justification, and we'll define that tomorrow. The present aspect of our salvation, sanctification, we are being saved. The future aspect of our salvation, uh, which is glorification, we will be one day saved. That is the fullness of salvation. Any questions, please? Can you explain me one more time whatever you said just before this? Can you repeat that, Philip? I can't hear you. Can you explain the fullness of the salvation which you are talking about now? Uh, the last one. It is called yeah. glorification. It is a future aspect of salvation. Okay. So one day in the future, mm -hmm. we will be taken away from the very presence of sin. Okay. Uh, and we will be with him forever. We will have glorified bodies. So in the past, we were saved from the penalty of sin. Now mm -hmm. we are being saved from the power of sin. One day we will be saved from the very presence of sin. So that is the future aspect of salvation. All right. Okay. So, so which tells us, which tells us that the Christian in his experience never becomes perfect in this life. We await a future salvation for our perfection. So we can never attain perfect holiness in this life. I think I'll stop right here uh, for today. Uh, I will just leave it open for questions and uh, we will go in a little, little more detail tomorrow. Yeah. Hey, uh, you were mentioning uh, the glorified body as such. I yeah. Mean, does it still mean that uh, we would be? I mean, just a curious question. Would we? Can you can you speak up, please? I can't hear you. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Could you give me an idea of what that exactly is? I mean, like, would we still be having our our earthly kind of a body, or what is it exactly? Or just an idea about 
Okay, uh, just to put it in one sentence, it'll be exactly like the body of Jesus Christ after he rose again from the dead, which means there is a continuity about the body and there's also a discontinuity about the body. In the sense, like we will, we will be localized just like we are here in this body. We'll still be creaturely and uh, we will have resemblances. We can be recognized. I as Ravid, you as Abhijit. Uh, Jesus was recognized. Uh, after he was raised from the dead. There is some aspect to it where the disciples could not recognize him, but there's an explanation for that. We don't have to get into that, but he could be recognized. Um, then, um, so we will have a body. It'll be a glorified body. But there's a world of a difference between this body and the glorified body. And uh, Paul explains that very clearly, uh, at least as much as any human being can understand. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 20 and on, um, we can't go into a detailed analysis of it right now because uh, that itself will take a long, uh, long time. It's a heavy passage. It's a wonderful passage. He explains the differences between what our earthly body is and what a glorified or a resurrection body is. So uh, you can go and read that, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and on. And you can get back to me for uh, any explanations that you don't understand. Uh, one more thing. Uh, when uh, I think uh, uh, the two disciples had seen uh, Abraham and uh, Moses along with Jesus on the mountain, mm -hmm. uh, how did they recognize Abraham and Jesus and uh, understand it was Abraham as such or Moses? They've never seen. Yeah, that's right. Um, how did they recognize? Uh, see, the thing is, um, it is a revelation by God, first of all. Um, the second thing is, the gospel writers were writing in retrospect as well. So uh, Christ himself would have told them that this is Moses, this is Elijah. Um, so, uh, but, you know, there is also some sense in which we are recognizable. Uh, that's all I would say. I, I wouldn't go more than that. Uh, we can identify certain people. I don't know how, but uh, uh, it is possible that the disciples immediately identified Moses and Elijah. It is also not. It is also not possible that they did not identify. But God revealed that to them. Christ revealed it to them. Uh, we are not told everything that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. We are. We are told that Moses and Elijah were there which means that Christ certainly told the disciples perhaps that this is Moses, this is Elijah. Uh, it is definitely possible because the gospel writers were not writing live on the mountain. Uh, they were writing in retrospect. They were writing uh, much after the event. So they, they would know by then at least who they were on the mountain. Raven, that means do you... Uh, 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 will I be able to recognize my parents in heaven? Yes. The answer would be yes. Physical? Uh, we will have a physical body. Yeah, it, it is not floating spirits in heaven. When we are resurrected, it will be physical glorified bodies. And uh, we will be able to recognize each other. But uh, about the seven brothers, wives, they have, Jesus says that um, they don't, you know, they don't get married. In yes, heaven. there is no marriage there. Uh, we'll be in a glorified state, but we'll be able to recognize who our earthly dad was, who our earthly mom was, although they don't have a marriage relationship there. Any other questions? Devant, can you hear me? Yeah. Devant, I have a small question. So yes, uh, there, are, uh, there are a couple of verses that says, uh, without baptism, uh, salvation is not complete. There are supporting verses, right? Uh, I couldn't recollect right now. Okay. Uh, I mean, what is your idea on that? 
Um, did you, is the question, so you were cutting in and out, so let me just rephrase it for you. Just tell me if I understood you right. Are you asking uh, if baptism is essential for salvation? Uh, no, uh, there are a couple of verses which says baptism. Okay, so you're saying that there are certain verses that seem like um, baptism is essential for salvation. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, uh, but uh, the overall picture that the Bible gives in its clarity uh, is that uh, there is nothing that we can bring to our salvation. There is nothing that we can contribute to our salvation. It is solely the work that Christ accomplished for us in his life and in his work on the cross, especially. Uh, so salvation is by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God is what Paul says. Uh, so uh, it is independent of baptism. Um, it is independent of anything. It is just our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that justifies us. Um, Again, there are several, several verses in the Bible that we can go to. Read any epistle of Paul. It's very clear. Peter, it's very clear. Um, read Romans, read Galatians. It's all very clearly laid out that we are justified by faith and by faith alone. Now, baptism is a commandment given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism means identification. We are identifying the community. We are the community of believers, number one. And we are also identifying ourselves and telling the world what uh, we believed in. So it is an outward expression of the inner reality of our faith. So when we go into the water, we are identifying with uh, dying with Christ. We have died with Christ. We have been buried with him. And now we rise uh, as we come out of the water. It's like I have been raised with Christ. I have risen with Christ to the newness of life. So it is a commandment. It is identification, but it does not add to or contribute to our salvation. Okay, thank you. Anybody else, please? Did you all understand uh, whatever was discussed today? Can I get up a, about a couple of yes. answers, please? Yes. Almost, yes. Okay. Yes. Seth, Sheetal, Shovit, Sujay. Pardon me, Ravant. Uh, I had a busy Monday as in I'm in going in and out of calls. So okay, that's fine, that's fine. I don't want to comment because I lost a lot, major part. Okay. Others? Yes. All right. Um, okay, so uh, we got your feedback. Uh, yesterday there was a link that was sent. Thank you for giving your feedback. Um, I think a good number of people, other than a couple of them, I think, other than a couple of them, a good number of people wanted this to be extended over the next 14 days as well. So I'm not sure if you took the feedback uh, yesterday, but if you have or haven't, it's okay. Would you like to continue the, uh, this doctrine of salvation beyond tomorrow, as well as the other things like the doctrine of the church or doctrine of angels and demons and such things? Yes, please. Also, Raven, the yes. form can be filled till tonight. It's open till tonight. Just... Oh, okay. Uh, Raven, uh, we're talking about angels and demons, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the study of angelology. Uh, it's supposed to be taken by Jobin or like you will be taking that? No, uh, because he was telling that he will take angel and demon. Yeah, so he just had a baby. I'm not sure uh, it's right to disturb him right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Okay, I I, I need to uh, get an answer from you guys, please. Would you want to continue this? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes Anna. Okay. All right. So, uh, yes. yeah, we got we got yes. uh, we got uh, a very positive feedback for continuation. Yes. Other than a couple of people who I think wanted to drop off by themselves, so I think uh, I will just plan up and I'll send you a schedule 
I'll talk to Sam as well. Um, I wanted to leave you just before 11.30 so you can go back to your work stuff and other things. So it's 11.27. Um, I will request uh, uh, who's there to close in prayer today. Uh, we look at Sean. Sean, could you please close in prayer? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this uh, wonderful session that you've blessed us with, O oh Lord. Thank you for enabling Revantana to uh, speak speak to us uh, regarding uh, salvation of Father and helping us to understand a little bit more about this uh, concept of Father. O oh Lord, uh, we look to you for your mercy and your guidance, O oh Father, as we go back and uh, we read through the notes and uh, we understand what we learned today, O oh Oh, Father, oh Lord, we once again uh, pray for everybody and uh, all of our family members who are at home and uh, we pray for this uh, situation that we are in, oh Lord. We pray that uh, you will work a miracle uh, as soon as possible, oh Father. Once again, oh Lord, we thank you once again that we were able to study from your word, oh Lord. And uh, as we are all going back to our lives, oh Father, we pray that you keep us safe, keep us in good health. And all I ask in the precious name of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll uh, see you tomorrow. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye. Timing will be the same, 11 o'clock? Sorry? Yeah, 11 o'clock tomorrow. Yep. Okay.